you may make a, an amazing film and if you're really lucky with it, 10,000 people might see it. The trailer will be seen 2 million times. Hey, Sky. Hey, Jenny. Um, where are you in the world these days? I am in Los Angeles temporarily. Yeah. And we were just uh, before this call musing about how we're having opposite weather situations right now. Yeah, which is very yeah, exactly. Typical story of East Coast, West Coast. And I'm in the Hudson Valley. Very grateful to be in the middle of the woods. Um, uh, although I do miss my native New York. And I, you know, it is snowing like crazy here. And there you are just sitting in the midst of what, 80 degree weather? It's incredible. I've I've stopped musing about how nice the weather is here. I've stopped saying like, oh, it's an incredible day. It's like, no, that's just that's just Los Angeles. <laughs> that's you know, I think that's partially why I like New York because it's like masochistic in a way. You know, it's like yeah. I'm an, a hard New Yorker and like I can I can deal with this. Um, but lucky you, my God. Come back to New York soon, Jenny. Yeah, please. Um and on another note, we have lots to talk about. Yes. We spend a lot of time on this podcast talking about how to create work, um, you know, documentaries, nonfiction, video of all forms, but we rarely talk about how to market that work. And our guest today, Jeremy Workman, you know, he makes a point in this interview that many, many more people will see your film's trailer than your actual film. So it's very important to get that right. And Jeremy is in the business of creating great trailers. He is the founder and creative director of Wheelhouse Creative, which creates trailers and fundraising sizzles for all types of films, narrative, Hollywood blockbusters, but also increasingly documentary films. And he just shared a wealth of information about how we can market our documentary films, which which was fantastic. Yeah, and and you also mentioned that you talked about a three act structure to trailers, which is fascinating, but also makes a lot of sense once you think about it. It does, yeah. I mean, Jeremy talked about how trailers actually have a three act structure, like we see in films and books and even songs. Even a film like they cut the trailer for a camera person, which mm -hmm. doesn't have a it it doesn't really have a traditional plot line or three act structure. They're still able to create a three act structure in the trailer for that film, which I thought was yeah. fascinating. Like that's we as human beings, we just respond to that, and that's what draws us in. It's amazing, truly. It's amazing. We also talk about the importance of trailers, what makes an effective trailer. Really, really useful information for someone who is trying to market their film or even just like learning about the nuts and bolts of storytelling. I still think this is a really helpful interview for that. Absolutely. And just in this, you know, air quote, golden age of documentary filmmaking, um, trailers and sizzle reels and, and things that tease your masterpiece folks in a short and uh compelling way obviously are key and and i i also feel like you know as you had said we spend so many years doing our best to make an incredible film and yet often when it gets out of post you know and you do that final export you think it's done and really <laughs> unfortunately that's when the work starts because yeah. marketing is integral especially these days when there's so much content out there yeah. So lots of 
gems in this discussion. Uh, I'm excited to share it with everyone. Um, this is Jeremy Workman, and you're listening to Rough Gut. Here we go. So, Jeremy, I always start off by this question, and it's very redundant, but I'm just so interested in like how people got into the field that they're in, um, and mm-hmm. trailer editing is so niche. So if you could tell us how you got into trailer editing. Sure, of course. Um, the, I, I think it's really interesting, too. And um, if for anyone watching on YouTube, I, there is a weird green screen going on behind me. So I'm not normally encased in black, but I, I am. Uh, Jeremy's coding like in a, a dark space. I have a low budget, you know, kind of hillbilly green screen going on behind me. And it sort of works. You can kind of see some outlines. Anyway, um, how I got into trailers. So I um, I had been editing a lot in college and I was very much, um, I wasn't a film student, but I was kind of like a, you know, I was an English major in college and I was just really, really interested in editing and filmmaking, particularly documentaries. Um, So I was probably like a sophomore in college and I started to do sort of kind of professional editing jobs um, around that age. I remember because I was, I had an avid in my dorm room. Um, now, now that sounds like, oh, okay. Yeah. Big deal. I could have that on my phone. But at the time this was like, you know, unheard of because Avid's were these giant systems that multi-tabled systems with multiple huge monitors. Um, you know, this is like the, this is like the mid late, mid late nineties. So, um, yeah, so it was like I, I had an avid and I was editing in my dorm room um, and I was doing like music videos and promos and documentary stuff. And I had done something that had aired on PBS and the wife of a trailer, um, uh, like a trailer producer saw it and she's like, wow, this looks like it was really well edited. And they're always, those trailer companies, now this is, by the way, this is a very big Hollywood trailer company, you know, and there's not many of those in New York City. And at the time when I got into trailers, there was not even that many trailer, what are called trailer vendors, you know, companies that work just on trailers. You know, it might be news to some of your listeners, but um, there's whole companies that are devoted only to the art of making trailers. So I, what was ha- what happened was this: uh, a woman saw my stuff on PBS. I had no prior experiences trailers, and I was sort of recruited um, by this company. It was the only big trailer vendor in New York City. Um, it's called Geronimo. Still, still there, still around. It has a glowing reputation, you know, just for years um, having done trailers for a lot of Wes Anderson films, um, Tarantino films just humongous major movies. So I was recruited, I was around 20, um, which was really young. And it was my, and then I graduated school early. So I started the job when I was like 20, 21. Um, yeah, it was sort of nuts because when I look back, it it was, you know, I, I, I almost can't even imagine it now, but I didn't ever have a job after college. It was my, my only job I've really ever had is basically editing movie trailers. Um, so I was recruited out of that, that uh, to start working there. And then I immediately for the next several years, 
was working on Hollywood trailers. Um, so I know, you know, we're going to be talking about documentaries, but my start is almost the opposite of how a lot of trailer editors work, which is I started primarily with the biggest movies of my career, um, do, working on a number of big Hollywood studio trailers with a team of editors. It wasn't always just me. Um, and then eventually got kind of burnt out doing the Hollywood movies. And then I sort of segued into working exclusively now for indies and docs. Hmm. It seems like with the Hollywood movies, you would, and correct me if I'm wrong, I feel like you would learn like the nuts and bolts of how to create a trailer and then could maybe apply that to more like documentaries who are maybe not not as much of like a three act structure, like a traditional three act structure, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, exactly. And I think that was what interests me as well. You know, here I was like doing a lot of work for these like big movies, you know, it'd be like a Tim Burton movie or something. And um, that was super exciting and fun. But uh, eventually, it kind of caught up that I was you know, I was interested in making my own movies. I was interested in documentaries. I had always been sort of focusing on documentary. So it was almost like I took a little detour to work on on all these trailers for Hollywood movies. And in the process, learned this weird, very specific skill set that is not something that a lot of people um, have ex had experience. So then I was able, when I left that sort of studio world, I was able to... Um, then reach out to like this indie doc community and then start doing trailers um, for them using a lot of those tools, those lessons that I, I had been learning a lot with, you know, doing the Hollywood trailers. So yeah, mm -hmm. that's exactly right. Can you talk about those tools, what those were? I mean, it it, it is, it, it, it's very simple. You know, I always joke that trailers are, you know, they're, they're dumb you know, and yes, <laughs> they are they're dumb. yeah, they're dumb. They're dumb. And yes, they're really, really hard to do. And it's very, uh, it takes a, you know, a very kind of special, a specialty skill set. Um, and not every editor, there could be a great, great editors who just are not getting, you know, don't feel trailers. And there could be great short form editors that are not quite right for trailers. So it's this, you know, my joke is that it's, it's like calligraphy you know, calligraphy, like yeah. the weird kind of penmanship, you know, it's not quite artwork. It's not quite poetry. It's like something weird. And that's kind of what trailers are in a way. Um, yeah. So I think, I think at the end of the day, though, it is kind of what you hit on even just briefly that it's kind of like three act structure, it's storytelling, it's creating character, it's creating um, energy and creating these sort of, you know, energy of, 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 music and movement and kind of story story thrust is very important and um it tends to become a little bit more story driven than uh some filmmakers are even thinking that the trailers would be because you know we've all seen so many zillions of trailers and we tend to like the ones where that feel like they have story and have character and aren't just sort of a loose collection of shots or, or whatever, but that have like a real sort of structure. So that's something, bringing structure to trailers is something that we do a lot, even in the indie world. Do you ever feel like you're bringing structure to a story that doesn't have a lot of structure? Um, 
Yeah, I mean, sometimes that's important, you know, like for um, a trailer that I, I'm, I'm very proud to have been involved in in a big way was was camera person, right? Yeah, and, that's what I was um, thinking of. Oh, yeah, nice. Um, so that's a really, so for all your listeners, I'm sure a lot of your listeners know that film, but it is a very um, hard to describe film that doesn't have a traditional story. You know, it, it, the director, great director, Kirsten Johnson, who did Dick Johnson is Dead as well. She was using footage from various movies that she had shot. So she was kind of repurposing footage and she was also using some home videos, home movies to tell this kind of deep story about like what it means to be alive. Right. Well, how do you turn that into a trailer? And um, the way that we were able to really kind of crack the code on that trailer was to sort of say like, Hey, let's try, let's try to impose some story on it. Let's try to, to impose a structure in the story. And I think that trailer ultimately really works because in a weird way, it zigs away from that kind of um, essay film presentation. It, it, it leans into a little bit more, okay, let's try to kind of steer this and make it more about, um, you know, a, an arc, a journey, even in the two minutes. And I think that ultimately is why that works so well. So, yeah, so even sometimes the movies don't want to do it so much. But, you know, when you are trying to make a, a marketing piece that's just two minutes and you're trying to get people to see a movie, you know, and I want people to see Camera Person. Um, it's awesome. But, you know, I don't want people to look at it and be like, oh, this looks weird. So you want to try to meet the audience halfway a little bit on a challenging movie like that. And then, of course, there's other movies that I work on, indie movies and trailers that were that are a lot easier, you know, mm. that are more traditional story driven. Mm. Can you talk about the I think our listeners, we all know what a three act structure is in storytelling in general. But can you talk about it in the context of trailers? Sure. Yeah, you know, it it we all say three act structure and we sort of all kind of know what we're talking about. I mean, we all do. We all watch so much, you know, stories. And um but really three act structure is is just a a way to say beginning, middle and end, obviously. But it's also a little bit more than that. You know, it is something that has um that you could almost like chart, you know, that has like a little bit of of a peak and valley. And of course, you know, a lot of your listeners probably have seen those things like screenwriters and they say like, oh, on page 22, it, uh, some a twist needs to happen and on page 70. But when you look at it a little bit more from a bird's eye, really what it is, is a way, is a theory of audiences understanding story. And it's been around literally for centuries. It's been around since like ancient Greece. And when they were sort of developing drama, even Shakespeare um, follows a lot of three-act structure. Um, so, so what it's doing is it, it's really, it's a way that audiences engage with story in a very personal way. And it's really nothing more than um, act one usually does a lot of setup and expert exposition. Setting up character is very important. Um, act two brings in the conflict. And then act three sort of has this kind of, you know, where it brings it all together and it kind of, you know, we're now those elements that you've set up in those previous acts now sort of come together in some sort of larger way. 
And um, so it sounds simple, but it's actually just, you know, um, a very tried and true. And we, we, we do try to look at trailers even in that way. And sometimes we definitely don't want to be traditional with a trailer. I mean, absolutely. There's many times when we want to be unconventional, non-traditional. We want the story to feel different. But usually still we're starting with those kind of elements. Um, and the other thing about three-act structure is it's so universal. You know, it's, it's, there's three-act structure in sitcoms, in, you know, episodes of Game of Thrones, in, you know, movies that we all watch. Um, it, it's even something that like you, you know, those themes and variations are something that's been explored in music sonatas, you know, sonatas and music are basically three acts. So, you know, it's something we're thinking about when we're putting it together. And that might translate to how we build the story when we bring in conflict um, music. You know, a lot of times, a lot of trailers have three pieces of music. Wonder why, you know, so it, it, it can often translate to the nuts and bolts of the, of the, how the trailer is made. Hmm. What are some of the challenges that you're consistently running into when you try to condense a film into a trailer? Um, it, you know, you're, you're making a lot of, um, you have to do a lot of shorthand, you know, you have to really kind of like say, all right, well, we're not going to get into this part of the story. And, you know, there might be some great subplot that you have to just kind of cut right through. Um, so that it tends, it comes back to this thing that I said at the beginning when we were talking that trailers are kind of dumb in a way, you know, they don't, they're not, they don't have a lot of nuance. You know, if a trailer has a lot of nuance, it's sometimes not a good trailer, you know? I mean, so that becomes a tricky balance because you're trying to present the best movie you can. And um, it's, but you also want to, like, this kind of comes back to what I was saying before, you want people to see the movie. So you have to really find what's so great about the movie and what really stands out about the movie and make that um, something really relevant within the trailer. And that can be a challenge. Um, and then, of course, there's everyday challenges with trailers, with marketing executives, um, with filmmakers who don't love when their movie turns into a trailer when a trailer might misrepresent a movie, that's always a, a big issue. Um, trailers being spoilers, that's something that we have to be kind of think about. Um, trailers telling too much of a movie. So there's a lot of a lot of pitfalls and you have to just kind of navigate that. Um, but it's really fun and you get really you're working really close with the team and the filmmakers and um, it's really a, a, a neat a neat gig. Yeah, just going back to um, spoilers, that kind of leads into my next question, which is mm -hmm. how much, how do you know how much to expose of a film? Like, how do you know if you're exposing too much or, or, or saying too little? Yeah, it's, it's a fine line. It's a, something that we, we're always trying to figure out. And I feel like I have a good sense of it, you know, where, you, I, where we're just showing what's amazing about the movie and what might entice people to want to see the movie, but not where they would say, okay, I've seen everything now and I don't want to see anymore. Um, and it, it, I think it has a lot to do if we really get, you know, kind of 
inside this a little bit is it is about presenting the the if we take those three acts and we think of the movie in three acts trailers are, are often very um we'll, we'll talk a lot about the first two acts of a movie but they shy away from the third act of a movie so if you kind of follow that idea then you probably will um be okay with with you know spoilers or saying too much I have a better rule of thumb, which is if it would if it's something that would be in the synopsis, then it's okay for the trailer. So if it's not something that would be in a synopsis, and you know we've all read synopsis and capsules, right? Those capsule synopsis, whether it's in a newspaper or film festival, if it's in the synopsis, it's fair game for the trailer, and that's kind of what what I think as well. You know, um, and one more thing I do want to say about this is that. Trailers are really disposable, right? We all watch a million trailers and people don't really remember them. Um, it is not like a movie that you watch and has a really emotional, impactful effect on you. So they tend not to be remembered. Like if I asked you or any of your listeners to think of the last trailer you saw and then describe that the details of that story, you would just be like, uh, I... I can't even name anything. And so that's another thing that we've sort of learned over the years is that trailers are really disposable and that they don't, people don't re retain a lot when they watch trailers. They pretty much say like whether they like it or they don't, and that's it. So it allow, it gives us a little bit of wiggle room to say like, all right, we're not going to spoil the movie because you're not even going to remember half of the stuff I put in this trailer. Yeah. And it may, it's a little, it gives it a little comfort level on that. Yeah. You've made hundreds of, of trailers and many of them have been for like Hollywood studio films. Can you talk about your difference in approach to documentaries uh, versus like big blockbuster films? Sure. You know, in the last several years, my company and my company is called Wheelhouse Creative and I run it with my my wheelhouse partner, Rob Lyons. And um, in the last several years, we've been increasingly focusing on documentary films um, and the marketing of documentary films. And there's a lot of reasons why. One, we love documentaries, um, but also because I'm also making documentaries. So it sort of dovetails very nicely with my interests um, and my sort of um, place in the documentary community, you might say. You know, now I get to work on a lot of documentaries and, and when I'm working on those trailers, it's a lot of times with friends of mine, you know, that are, have a really cool documentary coming out and I can be involved and help and, and um, lend my, my skill set. But documentaries are really hard um, to do trailers for. And what, you know, there's a number of things that I, I am very careful of when I'm working on a documentary. Um, and I could just fire off a bunch of, of quick things. For example, you know, um, a lot of documentaries are social have a, a very strong social issue component, but yet you don't want a documentary, you don't want that trailer to get just to look like it's a social issue movie. So it's this tricky balance where you have to make sure that the characters really come through even on a social issue documentary. So we're always fighting the urge in a way to say, you know, hey, we're doing a documentary trailer on a documentary about climate change. We need to resist the urge just to turn it into a two-minute thing about climate change. 
And we often are always like, no, 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 get it. Character, 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 find those characters, make sure those characters come through. Um, the other thing that's very important in a documented trailer is showing access and showing that you your film has this incredible access. So all the time we're looking for great verite moments that were shot, you know, originally for the film that really showcase, wow, this movie um, had incredible access to the subject or to the subject matter. We often shy away from archival in, in documentary trailers, not always, but often, um, because we want, you know, there's a term that I use a lot when I'm working with documentary filmmakers that we want the trailer to feel really present tense, present tense, right? So we're looking for ways to show that this is a present tense movie. It is not a historical documentary of, of just archival. Um, and even, you know, we love working on historical archival documentaries, but even on those, um, we look for opportunities in the trailer to make it feel present tense. Um, so some, that might mean we shy away from archival. We look for uh, more contemporary moments to use. We look for great verite, again, showcasing access. Um, and we also, as everybody who's seen a million documentary trailers, we're also looking for that pedigree you know, the film festivals, the critic reviews. Why? Because audiences seem to want to see that. I don't necessarily want to always put, oh, look, official selection, you know, Hot Doc, Sundance, South By, you know, I don't want to always do that. But audiences seem to really respond to that. So we're always looking for those opportunities in a trailer to build those out as well. Um, so yeah, and, you know, also just kind of keeping it... Um, fresh, not just letting it feel like, you know, always looking for the best material. These are sort of basic trailer things, you know, but really looking at it hard that it's, it's beautifully shot. It's, it has like some production value, all those kind of obvious things as well. Yeah. Bringing it to the present tense and avoiding archival or, and try, trying to shine it on the characters. It almost sounds like it's, it's like a feature film, if that well, makes sense. I mean, it does, it does. But on the other hand, you know, I, I always would say, you know, first of all, we're always, you know, going, we're letting the movie dictate our choices. So we're, we're never, you know, there's, there's also um, a very healthy skepticism, particularly amongst filmmakers that, oh my God, the trailer is going to misrepresent my movie. Um, and, you know, I, I think that what's been really working for our company is that we're like, hey, you know, don't worry. We, we've we worked with some amazing, amazing documentary filmmakers from the biggest ones that are kind of very well known in the community to want to people who have are making, you know, making movies with dimes and nickels and just have been making it for 10 years. We've worked on all those. And there is a real, um, filmmakers have learned that we have a real sort of, camaraderie and 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 we're very simpatico with them you know and i think that also connects with the fact that i'm also a filmmaker and that's kind of been something that you know i i could see it from a different position as well you know but we are eager to showcase what's great about the movie but not to pretend that the movie is something that's not, you know, if, and that's really important because if an audience watches a trailer and then goes, sees the movie and the movie is not what the trailer 
suggested, they're not going to like the movie because they're going to feel like they were told a lie or something and it's not what they expected. So that does nobody any good because then now the word of mouth is bad and they're they're saying that the movie's not good. So it's important to kind of keep the trailer in the same zone as the, as the movie. Um, but another thing to add about that is it's hard to get people. Let's just get out of the doc community for a second. It's hard to get people to see documentaries. You know, take it from me. I've made four features. It's hard to see, get people to see documentaries. So it, you know, we're also trying to make, find, have audiences discover documentaries and, and be like, wow, this, I, I wasn't going to see this movie and it looks great and I loved it. Um, and not every movie has that crazy like Netflix budget for marketing. So we're also going to do whatever we can to help people find the movie and want to see it. And that's, you know, you got to roll up your sleeves sometimes. Yeah. You've made four films. Can you talk mm -hmm. about um, how your filmmaking informs your trailer editing and, and vice versa? Do the two inform each other at all? They, they, they are starting to. Mm -hmm. um, when I first was making making films i i was almost like you know the films were almost a um a um I, I was going in opposite directions of what i was doing day to day you know i was making um choices to make films that were really personal or that were less about um audience that were less audience friendly you might say um that were more personal projects and um then I started to think like, well, I really want to, you know, use a lot of these things that, I, that I've um, been thinking about as a trailer editor and trailer producer and sort of apply it to, to the film, to my own filmmaking and, you know, think about story and think about these uh, story arcs and character. And I would say the first one that I really did that on where I was thinking about that was probably my last film. And that was a movie called The World Before Your Feet which is about a guy who's walking every street of New York City. Um, and that came out in 2018, 2019 or so. Um, and it, it very much found an audience. And it, I started to be, to, to sort of, it, it started to kind of merge better for me. You know, the, the two sides. I used to joke that they were the two sides of my brain, you know, the left side and the right side. But now it's starting to kind of merge a little bit more. Um, so that my new movie now feels, you know, in some ways pretty the most commercial thing I've done. Um, and that's going to be premiering at South by uh, next month. Oh, wow. Congrats. Thanks. That's called Lily Topples the World. And it is about a 20-year-old domino, the, the world's most acclaimed domino toppling artist. Um, and she's awesome. Cool. Well, we'll, um, we'll link to that in the show notes. Cool. When we were emailing, you mentioned that sizzles are becoming a major part of fundraising for documentaries, especially with the rise of streaming platforms. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Um, so maybe like five years ago, we I started to get calls from people saying, hey, we need a really cool sales trailer. And at the time, it was like, well, what's a sales trailer? I mean, I had done pieces. I had done sizzle reels, what are now called sizzle reels, you know, and they were normally like 
for a movie that was looking for financing or, you know, it was something that you would go into a, a meeting at HBO and you would show your sizzle reel and it might be 10 minutes and it would show all the good stuff and show again, your access and what the story was, you know, a sample reel, kind of like what I'm sure a lot of your listeners would know about from, um, submitting to grants or whatever it is. And then in the last, like maybe three years, it became increasingly a bigger and bigger thing um, in the industry to the point where now I get many calls um, a year, sometimes many a month about doing sizzles. And the reason why is because the streaming sites have become so significant, you know, and there's um, such an eager sort of hunger for great documentary content. And filmmakers are realizing that, that when they go into those meetings, whatever it is, you know, Netflix or whatever, they need really good material so that the bar has gone up so high in terms of having those kind of materials. You really have to have great material. So what does that mean? Well, it's, you know, it starts with some, for some people like a deck where they have like a great kind of, you know, thing that's like a, you know, a PDF. But then more important is the actual like real. And they're becoming more and more kind of slick. There's more money being put behind them. Um, they're looking more like trailers. Um, and they come in, usually people are sort of confused about what what they look like or what they are. You know, are they, what if, what if you know, you haven't shot all the movie? What if you're still raising money? You know, do those sizzles can you use footage from other movies you know what what are these things and what we've sort of seen really quickly in the last two years is that they're evolving like crazy you know it's like they're becoming something that's so significant in in the in the green lighting of your project that we almost can't keep up with the evolution um the short answer is they they could be anything you want you know it could be footage that a filmmaker has shot for a week, it could be from footage that a filmmaker has shot for 10 years. You know, it could feature footage that's all original. It could be all clips from other films and YouTube clips and, you know, media archival. So it sort of, it, it, it's about communicating the idea of what your movie is um, in the best way you can. And we've become very proficient at creating these pieces working very closely with the producers, very closely. Um, and, you know, get, you know, really looking at every aspect of it. Because if you think about it, it's sometimes the first time they're seeing their idea of a movie as a movie, right? You know, they've had this idea, well, I want to make a documentary about whatever. And now suddenly we're, we're creating a kind of a four minute piece, five minute, three minutes, whatever, whatever we think that it's sometimes the first time you're they're seeing what it looks like on screen. Um, so it's a very uh, challenging uh, step, but it's becoming increasingly important. We have worked on a number of films that have now um, started to now be made, be greenlit, be financed. And now premiere in theaters, you know, the movies. Um, the most remarkable one was, I guess, uh, you know, I, I won't give too many details because, you know, a lot of this stuff is kind of, you know, on the down low a little bit. But 
We worked on a film. We did a sizzle for a film last year. We did the sizzle in January or February. A major cable channel saw the sizzle, decided to finance it so that they could have the finished movie by the end of the year. So it went from the filmmakers having nothing to creating a sizzle, to getting greenlit, to now needing to make the film within one year. And that's what happened. Um, That movie was um, very specific because it was related to stuff going on in the news. So that was what was, had, had a lot to it, but you know, like um, there was a movie at Sundance that got a lot of buzz about uh, called Ailey, about the Alvin Ailey, the choreographer, we created the sizzle, you know, that was a few years ago. Um, Last year, the movie that, that, um, Netflix release called Disclosure about transgender actors and the history of Hollywood, we created the sizzle. So we were creating this, these pieces that are being used to find fan, find the financing. Mm. Um, when I think of a sizzle, I think of just like a lot of different parts of something that are put together and like in very like fast editing. Is it that or could it be just like showing a a five minute scene that really gives someone the idea of what your film could be? Yeah, I mean, it I would say a few years ago, it was just, hey, here is a sample scene and it would be the scene, you know, in the community where the, you know, maybe it's a a documentary about addiction and they might have a scene, a a 10 minute scene where there's a group, um, a group session, a group therapy session or something. And that might be enough to submit. You know, and, and I don't mean submit because there's no submission. You know, you're in a meeting or you're showing it to a network or you're showing it to a financier. And then, like I said, over the course of several kind of years, it 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 evolved into something else where people were now going into HBO and they were show or Netflix and they were showing up with these pieces that were a lot more um a lot bolder than that and a lot more um, complete and it would show more of the story and it would show the kind of movie it was. And it might have even um, things in it, like in a trailer, like it might have graphics, you know, like in a trailer, you know, from such and such filmmaker, or it might have copy cards the way that we've seen copy cards in trailers, you know, um, when I say copy cards, like text cards, you know, that are just about the story or the themes. And they've slowly evolved now to become, to looking more and more like trailers um, in many cases. And this is not just now Netflix. We're seeing this now. We'll get calls and be like, hey, we're going to go pitch this at the hot docs, you know, uh, forum, or we're going to take this to um, some uh, grant you know, that traditionally was always something that you could just show, you know, the 10 minute scene, but now has become and sort of morphed into something that needs to be a little bit more produced. Um, And filmmakers are realizing that there's a lot of great documentary filmmakers out there. There's a lot of terrific filmmakers out there. And it just having better materials is a way to kind of help your, your pitch. Mm-hmm. To end, I, I I know this might sound like such a basic and obvious question, but can you just talk about like why trailers are important in the first place? Uh, the, 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 the simplest answer 
and I could, you know, it's not, it's not a stupid question and it's not an obvious question, but I'm going to give you an obvious answer to it. You know, the obvious answer is you may make a, an amazing film, right? And if you're really lucky with it, 10,000 people might see it. The trailer will be seen 2 million times and maybe more. It could, the trailer could be seen 10 million times. So you're suddenly like, all right, well, already that creates this incredible discrepancy between what the public world is going to see from your movie versus this two minute piece. And now suddenly it puts all this responsibility, all this pressure on this little two minute piece that is going to be seen literally, I am not exagger exaggerating at all, uh, probably a hundred times more than your film. Um, and when you start breaking it down in that way, you start going like, damn, if I'm going to put something out there that could be seen a hundred times more than my film, I want it to be as good as I can. And I want people to watch it and say, I got to see that movie. So that's why it becomes so important. And um, it's it, it doesn't have to be a trailer that, you know, is is like a Hollywood trailer that's playing, you know, at at movie theaters when movie theaters return. But it doesn't have to be like that. But it should be it should convey what's great about your movie in the best way it can. And it should really this comes back to some of the stuff we were talking earlier. It should really communicate with your audience and respect their um respect them, respect their intelligence, respect their history of seeing movies and sort of be aware of, of kind of how they, how audiences are. Um, so that's why I think they're really important. It's as yeah. simple as that. Can you talk about a couple of, or can you just name a couple of great documentary trailers that, um, that wheelhouse has created and we could maybe link to them in the show notes? As oh, examples? sure. Yeah. You could also, you could go to our, our most recent page. Everybody could go to wheelhousecreative.com or sorry, uh, yeah, wheelhousecreative.com or wheelhousenyc.com. Um, but, you know, we, we I, how about this? I'll, I'll give you um, some trailers because we've done a lot and we're super proud of all the stuff we've done. But I could tell you some of the recent trailer, documentary trailers that we've really enjoyed working on. Um, Really, uh, I'd say specifically to our coded bias and um, the human factor. And both of those were really hard. Um, coded bias was a film that played at Sundance last year. It's about um, the racial disparity in artificial intelligence and how, you know, artificial intelligence, particularly in security, skews against uh, minorities. So that to us was really, really important. And we wanted to really get behind that. So we, we, um, we worked on that trailer called Coded Bias and that um, we were very excited and proud to work on that one. Another really challenging one, but also really fun to work on was for The Human Factor. The Human Factor is the follow-up um, of a great filmmaker who did, um, his previous film was The Gatekeepers. Um, and The Gatekeepers was nominated for an Oscar. And Human Factor is about the peace process that happened in the 1990s um, between Israel and Palestine. And again, a difficult subject and one that 
you know, if you're not really interested in that, you might say, hey, I don't want to see, this isn't something for me. But we really looked at it and tried to make it engaging and exciting, but still in keeping with what was great about the movie. So those are two, a couple uh, recent ones that we've been mm. working on that we're really, really excited about. Great. Well, we'll definitely link to those. Cool. Um, and your listeners, if they want to reach out, they can find me. They can reach out anytime. Great. I will, we'll, we'll put a link to a uh, wheelhouse cool. website in there too. Um, nice. All right. Well, thank you so much, Jeremy. This has been so interesting and helpful. And I'm sure a lot of our listeners are probably cutting trailers or thinking about cutting their trailer, mm-hmm. or maybe they weren't going to cut a trailer and now they know how important it is. So. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. It, um, you know, filmmakers shouldn't be scared or nervous about trailers. They're hard. That's another thing. Trailers are hard, um, but they should feel like, you know, it is part of their process. It's part of getting their movie seen. It's something that they should, you know, really think about. They don't want to just make the movie and then, have nothing, no time or energy or budget left over where they're now not thinking about the marketing. We don't want to think about marketing as filmmakers, but we have to. We want people to see these movies. So I really would encourage the viewers to really think about that and and make it part of their own process. Rough Cut is hosted and produced by me, Jenny Butler, and Sky Dylan Robbins. Han Su helps with our audio mix, and our original music is by Zach Wright. And the podcast is part of the Video Consortium, which is a global creative network and community that unites today's nonfiction filmmakers and video journalists. You can visit videoconsortium.com, and we'd love for you to join our film family. And we love hearing from listeners. So if you'd like to send us a note, you can find us on Instagram at at roughcutpodcast, or you can send us an email, podcast at videoconsortium.com. And don't forget to rate us and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe. Thank you and see you soon.